Minnesota isn't just about hot dish hockey and Target. That's right, friends. It's AJ, your host of the Maybe Swearing Helps podcast, also known as your Minnesota best friend, the one you didn't know you had, and the one you didn't know you needed, but you are glad that you found me. I hope all of you had a great week, that your bosses were gentle to you, that your children respected you when you told them, no, you cannot have chocolate before dinner. And I really hope that your husbands folded the socks that the way you like them to be folded or that you went out and did something that scared your family. It's going to be a great episode here, folks. I am so glad that you joined me. So grab your wine, your comfy chair, and let's get down and dirty with the Maybe Swearing Helps podcast. Hey friends, happy Monday. I hope all of you survived the monsoons that we had over the weekend. I know I was a little surprised by the rain that we got. I don't really want rain because as we know, I have a construction project that involves cement and rain is not my friend right now. I know we need rain, but I'm just like, stop. Do not open up any more sky. Do not rain down on me. Do not rain down on me this week. As we are all very well aware about the news coverage that's coming from Canada and how they are finding these mass graves at former residential school sites. In Minnesota and in the United States as a whole, we also had Indian residential schools. But states also had state-run schools. In particular, I'm going to discuss the Minnesota State School for Neglected and Abandoned Children in Owatonna, Minnesota, which is also known as the State School Orphanage. However, we do not like to use the term orphanage when it comes to the Minnesota State School because the children were not orphaned. They had families. They knew that they had families. These children ended up at this school due to circumstances that they were not able to control. My grandfather was one of the 10,365 children to go through the Minnesota State School in Owatonna. He was taken there because during 1919, the Indian residential school that he was slated to go to was overrun with the 1919 flu, a pandemic, just like we are much in the midst of right now in present day. It's funny how history kind of repeats itself. I have been doing a lot of TikToks lately in regards to indentured servitude. And I've gotten a lot of questions of, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is indentured servitude and why would we enter children into such a thing? Well, that's what this week's episode is about, friends. We are going to go into my Prius, aka the time machine, and we're going to drive back in time before 35W even existed, back to when the only way to get to Oatana efficiently was by the railroad. We're going to take a look at and examine what exactly is indentured servitude. Now, what exactly is indentured servitude? Lucky for us, we have a mouse tool that we can use, aka Google. So let's get on over to what my dad often calls the Google machine for some reason and see what good old Wikipedia has for us. 
indentured servitude is a form of labor in which a person agrees to work without salary for a specific number of years through a contract for eventual compensation or debt repayment. For exchange, in exchange for labor provided, they were given minimal room and board. The Minnesota State School's original goal for all of the children that were placed at the school was adoption. However, the adoption rates were extremely low and not a lot of people wanted to adopt these kids. So as the kids were flowing in, they had to come up with something to do with them. So why not contract them out to farmers and families throughout the state of Minnesota that needed labor, that needed workers? It was cheap, it was inexpensive, it was a way to get the kids off in the orphanage grounds or the school grounds, as you want to call it, and into places where they can learn a skill, where they can be useful. And these families were supposed to give these children room and board, send them to school, send them to church, give them clothing, food, a place to sleep, take care of them. And there were state agents from the state of Minnesota that were to come out and they were supposed to check on these children once a month. However, because there were so many children in the indentured servitude program, there wasn't enough state agents to go around and check on these kids. So a child was lucky if they saw maybe a state agent once a year. Otherwise, they didn't even know the state agents existed. Indentured servants, if you were an indentured servant, you either ended up with a family that was really good to you, or you ended up in a shit show that was worse than the shit show you had left previously. A lot of children that were indentured servants at the school were abused physically, mentally, sexually. They weren't fed, they weren't clothed, they were not properly taken care of, and they did not see the inside of a school, let alone a church. There are stories from former students at the school who would try to escape the families that they were contracted out to. They would run away. And if they got caught, the beating, the punishment that they received was worse than the punishment they had previously received that day. There are also reports of indentured servants that just went missing. The farmers or whoever had them went, oh, they just ran away and we never saw them again. In reality, that poor child is most likely buried somewhere on that property or dumped somewhere. There are reports of, oh, we don't know how he, she died. And their body was brought back to the orphanage for burial because the family didn't want to be responsible for the funeral costs and the graveyard costs associated with that child's death. And the school didn't really look into it because they were just like, oh, well, it happens. And they would bury the child on the grounds of the state school. My grandfather was the exception. He was the exception. He was four years old when he was contracted out as an indentured servant to a man by the last name of Pelodi in Lake City, Minnesota. The Pelodis were older. They wanted a child. They, they didn't want a laborer or somebody that was just going to do work for them. They wanted a child. So they made sure that my grandfather... Clifford got an education. He actually learned two languages. He does not know a lick of Anishinaabe to this day. He did not know it up until his death. He did not know his original language that was taken from him, but he learned how to speak English. He learned how to speak German. He was sent to a country school, 
and then high school. He was taken to church. He was given the life that a child should have. His father set him up for life. He turned the farm over to him. And when it became clear that my grandfather loved the bottle more than anything in life, he was an alcoholic. I'm not going to shy away from that. He put the farm in a trust for Clifford's 13 children. So those 13 children would always have a place to live. And one of the saddest things I saw while doing my research about my grandfather, I saw some census records that were for the township that he grew up in. And there was one particular year where he was probably about 10 years old, where they had originally written down son, crossed out son, put foster son, crossed out foster son, put indentured servant, crossed that out, put foster again, and then finally ended up with indentured servant. When the people that had him passed away in their obituaries, they put survived by our foster son, Clifford. They never claimed him as their child. They never legally adopted him. He was in this indentured servant contract until he was 18 years old. And when he was 18, his family that had him told him where he came from. They told him about his mother, about how he was taken from the reservation, how they got him. Normally, when a child who is in an indentured servant turns 18, they are given one suit of clothing, so shirt, pants, underwear, and socks if they're a boy, or a dress, bra, underwear, pantyhose if they're a girl. And they're supposed to be given a small stipend of money that was to be put in trust for them. So when they turn 18, they age out of the system, that contract ends, they can go on with their life. But a lot of these families kept the money and kept the clothing too. They didn't give it to the child that was, who they, by all purposes under the law, they fulfilled their end of the contract. They did not give it to them. They kept it for themselves. So these children had to go out into a world that they didn't understand and try to function as well-rounded adults. These children were not nurtured. They were not educated. They were not loved. They were not shown kindness. They weren't shown any of that. So they didn't know how to be a well-rounded adult. A lot of the people that went through the school who remained there until they aged out of the system or who were indentured servants said that they were so used to being institutionalized, they couldn't function in the world around them. So they sought out drugs, alcohol, and became addicted to other things because they were so used to somebody telling them, you're going to do this at this exact same time every single day. They were so used to somebody telling them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, that they couldn't function in a world that was so full of choices where you could make your own plan. They just couldn't do it. So a lot of them... And like I said, drugs, alcohol, prison, they just weren't able to function. And when those people had children, like my grandfather, he had children. Even though he grew up in a nurturing environment, he still had those scars of being taken when he was a child. He didn't know how to be a father to his 13 children. He wasn't the greatest dad on the planet. Neither was his wife. The My father and his siblings were subjected to physical, mental abuse. It was not good. Like, my dad will tell you I survived and I got the fuck off the farm when I was 18 and I never looked back. We're not here to make excuses or sugarcoat my grandfather's life and the way that he treated his children. This this is what generational trauma looks like. That trauma that occurred way back in the day is carried out 102 years later. 
and to the children around them. And a lot of my dad's siblings couldn't break the cycle themselves. And so they ended up mentally and physically abusing their children. My dad, he broke that cycle. He broke that cycle. My sister and I, we grew up in a very nurturing, loving environment where our curiosity was allowed to flourish and we were well-educated. He wanted us to have a different life than what he had. And it's just sad that a lot of people don't know about indentured servants or when they think of indentured servants, they automatically think of adults and they don't realize that children as young as four years old were entered into these contracts. So that means the Plotis had my grandfather on a contract for 14 years. If he had left, he could have been arrested. Like these children could not escape. They could not run away. They would be punished. They could be arrested. They could spend some time in jail for violating their contracts. They had to do whatever these people said that they had to do. So whether that was to go out and plow the fields, work horses, milk cows, build buildings, clean dishes, sew the kids' pants, take care of children, cook the meals, whatever it was, they had to do it and they couldn't say no because they were the labor. They were the workhorses of these families. And when you think about it, indentured servants being children, today we can't grasp that concept because who would put a kid into hard labor? But less than 50 years ago, up until the 40s, these children were entered into indentured servant contracts. 50, 60 years ago, this this was something that was okay, it was kosher, and it was supported by our very own government. And a lot of Native American children were entered into these contracts. And when they were entered into these contracts, the government committed something in Indian country that we call paper genocide. When my grandfather went into the school, he was Native, brown skin, brown hair, brown eyes, good teeth. When he left on his indentured servant contract, his race magically changed with the tick of a pen to white, brown hair, brown skin, brown eyes, good teeth. He was wiped off his tribe's rolls all because of his race being changed on that paperwork. Even though he was Native American, you could tell it by looking at him that he was Native American because of that one little piece of paper back in history, he was labeled as white. On his death certificate, it says he's Caucasian, even though he's not. But that is what paper genocide does. It wipes out lineage. It wipes out entire family trees from a tribal structure. All because our government believed in the philosophy of kill the Indian, save the child. They wanted to assimilate, eradicate the Native American from this country. They wanted prosper. They wanted these Indians. They saw them as stumbling blocks and they had to get rid of them. Otherwise, we couldn't prosper. We couldn't move forward and become this great country that we are supposedly supposed to be. And I think we often forget that children paid the ultimate price for our freedom. As a Native woman, I can tell you that when I watch these news stories from Canada or I see allies sticking up for us, I am literally brought to tears and I'm bawling my eyes out and my heart is broken because I can feel it in my soul. I can feel the pain and the trauma in my soul and I can also feel the fire to make a difference and to continue sharing these stories because I can't count on historians or biographers to properly tell the history of the American Indian. It's been whitewashed for far too long 
that we need to be brave, or I wouldn't call brave, just fucking fed up and frustrated and start telling the stories of our people, start telling the truth and speaking the truth into people so that people can hear the truth and understand what we went through as a people and what we will continue to go through for years to come. Because this, what's happening in Canada, is just the tip of the iceberg. Wait until we start digging on American soil. Wait until we start searching on American soil for these mass graves. We're going to see numbers that I can't even begin to imagine. But I will tell you, I will be there just like every other Native person. And I will help walk those spirits home. Because we will not let our children be lost. We will not rest until all of our children are walked home. Until all of our children are brought home. Until they know that they matter. Whether they were indentured servants killed in the boarding school or the the residential school or the state school, their lives mattered. They will continue to matter because we're only two generations removed from the state school and the Indian residential school era. I am the granddaughter of an indentured servant and his story mattered, his life mattered, and I know in my heart that he would want me to help walk all of the children home. We will not rest until all of our children are brought home. Wondering what I look like? Do you want to see me awkwardly dance at the Mall of America with a cotton candy duck or just awkwardly dance in public without any music at any given time? I have no shame, folks. You can follow me over on TikTok. I am at Ninja in the City, or you can go on over to MaybeSwearingHelps.com. Have a question, have a topic that you would like to hear discussed? You can email MaybeSwearingHelps at gmail.com. I look forward to interacting with you, friends. Have a great week.